Well, good evening. How's everybody doing this evening? Hey, welcome to Life Community. If you are new around here, we just want to uh, extend a special welcome to you. My name is Tim. I have the privilege of pastoring here. And uh, just real quick, a note about these invites and about Christmas Eve. Um, we were going to do a open house kind of grand reopening thing back the first weekend in October. And then because of the building department and construction, we had to push back, right? And so instead of doing a new open house, we thought, what better opportunity uh, to invite the community in than sometime when they're naturally looking for a place to come. And so Christmas Eve is one of those great opportunities. And so let me just encourage you, um, actually during this whole season, really, um, what a great time to invite family and friends. Every weekend is a great weekend to invite somebody to church. But there's something about this time of year uh, that typically just makes it easier. And so uh, we encourage you to do that, to con- be continuing to pray about those friends, family members, coworkers in your life that haven't met Jesus yet, because we trust that they're going to meet him, and uh, we'd love to be part of that process. So encourage you just to take some of these, and you don't have to wait till Christmas Eve. Uh, start praying and start inviting. So cool. Hey, well, today we are launching a new series that will bring us up to Christmas. And to get us where we're headed, let me just uh, ask you um, actually, for all the older people in the room, do we have any young people in the room? Or, yeah, we've, we've got a few here. Um, you guys text, right? Everybody texts, even, even you that aren't so young anymore. We know you text. Not very well, but you text, right? And uh, so I thought I would let you know, I would fill you in on a texting term that all the younger people in the room know very well. And you may not know it, but you've experienced it. And so this term is being ghosted. Anybody heard that? Ghosting someone, being ghosted? Okay. Wow, a lot of you have never heard this term. So you're about ready to be, be educated tonight. So that's good. That's good. So, so young people, you know this term, don't you? And what does it mean? It means when you text somebody and, and they really don't text you back, right? And here's when you experience this, older people. It's when you text that buddy of yours that you haven't talked to in three years, and you're like, hey, man, how's it going? And they text back and go, hey, good to hear from you. Going great. And you say, great. You still got that pickup truck? Silence. You've been ghosted. And for good reason, right? For good reason. But hey, that's, that's what comes when you, when you have a nice pickup truck, isn't it? Guys with trucks or gals, you know that. So anyway, um, so that's ghosting, right? Or here's how it works itself out, and you may have experienced this. I guarantee you, every one of you at some point has probably felt a little bit like you were in middle school uh, with this whole texting thing, right? Because you texted a friend, and you're like, hey, you want to go do this? And then nothing, right? And then like hours go by, and then days go by, and pretty soon you're like, you're sitting here going, well, I wonder if they even got it. And then it goes from there to like, I wonder if they just don't like me anymore. I wonder if I'm no longer their friend. And it's like you're in middle school all over again with this whole thing, um, and you're being ghosted. Or, or moms in the room, like if you're in your teens in the room, you know this because this is so annoying. Your mom does this, right? She texts you, and when you don't text back in like 14 seconds, she assumes you are wrecked in your car, in the ditch, on the side of the road, Right? And you're like, seriously, mom, I was, I was in class or, you know, whatever. And so that is being ghosted. Now, I think we've all like experienced that to some level and that feeling of what it feels like. But have you ever felt like that with God? Like God was ghosting you? 
Do you ever feel like you pray for answers or pray for direction and then it's just radio silence? Like you seek God, but it's just radio silence. Have you ever felt like God is just indifferent to what you're going through? And when God was silent, when you, when you prayed and, and you couldn't, you know, you didn't feel like you had an answer, did it cause you to wonder maybe if he had abandoned you or maybe if he really cares? And like, if he does really care, why didn't he tell you what's going on in this situation, right? Or, or, or how do you handle it? What do you do when you're, when you're suffering because you're in a situation that's because of so, something someone else did? Really, it's not your fault. It's because of something someone else did and you are suffering the consequences. And what do you do with that when you know in your head that God is good, but your circumstances are just so lousy that, you know, the two don't really connect. And, and when you start to ask him about it again, like radio silence, you just, it's like, I, I don't get this, right? Or maybe you know that there are incredible future promises that God has made. But have you ever wondered, like, how, how are you supposed to keep hope alive when you look at your present situation and it just doesn't even resemble those promises? And if you've ever felt like this, you know, you're in good company with plenty of followers of God throughout history. And today in this series that we're launching, we're going to launch a three-week series leading up to Christmas. And we're going to be in the Minor Prophets the Minor Prophets, if you know about the Minor Prophets, it's a bunch of real little ancient texts that are at the very end of the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. And they're not Minor Prophets because they're unimportant. They're minor because compared to some of these other long-winded prophets, they're very short. And one of those texts is called Amos, and that's what we're going to be looking at here today. And We find something very interesting when it comes to this idea of silence and us praying and not really hearing God at seasons in our life. And in Amos 8, chapter 11, here's what God says through the prophet. He says this, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land. But listen, because you know what famine is, right? No food or water. He says, but not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And the period between the Old and New Testament in Scripture is often referred to as the 400 silent years. Because during this time, the prophetic voice, the prophet speaking on God's behalf, um, the prophetic voice of God goes silent. And here's what we're going to see is, although God isn't speaking the same way during this period of silence, he's still very active in the lives of those who trust him. And I think that can give us hope in times when, when God feels silent or distant or inactive in our lives. And one of the, the themes of the, of the minor prophets that we're going to see as we go through this is really hope in the midst of terrible circumstances and long seasons of disappointment. And for some, man, the holiday season just brings that out. Because you're in a place in your life where you've been in a long season of disappointment. You've been in a season where you're just wondering, God, where are you? God, I keep praying, but I'm, I, I don't, I'm not seeing answers. 
I keep praying for direction, but I'm just, I feel like I'm still in the dark. And you're trying to be faithful. And the good news is that there, there's hope in the middle of that. In fact, what, you, what we're going to see in this series is that when it seems that God is silent, he is actually incredibly active, orchestrating the events of history in preparation for the greatest news ever heard, a message that's introduced as good news on the very first Christmas day. But before we go, get there, we need to go back and give you a little bit of context to this Amos guy. How many of you, uh, you don't know, I won't ask for a show of hands. If you've ever read Amos... It's not a, exactly a fun book to read. This book, I mean, it's only nine chapters long, but it is depressing. It's depressing. See, when Solomon was the king, the nation of Israel was at its height. I mean, superpower status in the world. And so right after Solomon, because of Solomon, um, he's very wise, but at the end of his life, he, he lives like an idiot. And because of that, um, the kingdom is split in two. And so you have the northern kingdom, which is known as Israel, which consists of 10 tribes, and then the southern kingdom, uh, which is two tribes. They're known as Judah. So these two kingdoms now. And the, the northern tribes, it's just like a series of train wrecks. It just goes off the rails right away because God warns them all the way back in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy those books that you, your eyes glaze over. He warns them over and over that if you get to this new land and you abandon me and go after all these idols, I brought you into the land and I can take you out of the land. So just remember that. And some of you said that to your kids, right? I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. Okay. Um, so it all goes downhill after Solomon. And you have this whole string of wicked king after wicked king that ends up just leading the people into awful idolatry. They worship uh, at this golden calf thing. They think they're worshiping the one true God. They're actually worshiping this idol, this golden calf. And then they worship the Baal gods, which are just awful idols um, that, that demanded, these demon gods demanded that the people did horrible things that God detested, like offering their, their babies as burnt sacrifices. I mean, horrible things, right? And so the whole culture goes downhill. And God sends prophet after prophet to warn them to return to him. And they refuse. And finally, God has had enough. And so he sends Amos to deliver the shocking message. And if you don't know too much about the prophets, but the prophets, the role they played really in ancient Israel was really the people that were there to, to tell the people what's really going on. They're like that friend you have that always gets in your face and they're right, but right? You've got one of those friends. And, and the prophets were like that. They were there to tell you what's really going on, what God is at, what's actually happening. And Amos does that. And Amos comes to the people to deliver a, a really shocking message of what's really going on. In the northern kingdom of Israel at this point in time, it's like their Indian summer. You know when we get Indian summer around here and it's like 65 degrees at the end of November and everybody's walking around in shirt sleeves and then the next week it's like sub-zero and you're freezing? It's Colorado, right? So Indian summer. Uh, this is like Israel's Indian summer because it, 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 it was the best as it had been uh, since Solomon. 
because of a whole series of political things, um, like Assyria being in political shambles during this time to the north, they basically had no enemies for, for quite a period of time. Their enemy Aram on the north was subdued. And so they, in, they just enjoyed this time of incredible peace and incredible security and incredible financial prosperity. And because of that, they made the wrong conclusion. They made the conclusion that God must be really pleased with us. I mean, after all, look how blessed we are. Look how rich we are. Look how much stuff we have. God must be really pleased with us. And so that's a really important thing. I think it's a really important thing for us and our culture when we live in a nation that's the most prosperous nation in the history of the world at one of the most prosperous times, right? It's a good thing for us to keep in mind to take the word of God seriously. And, and, and what had happened in this culture is they did not take the word of God seriously. They didn't take the instruction of God seriously. They went through all the motions. They, I mean, they loved going to the religious festivals and you know worshiping God, but they're worshiping at a golden calf idol as their one true God and calling that God Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. Thinking somehow we're pleasing God and man, he must be pleased with us. Look at how well we're doing. Look at, you know, look at how much margin we have. And so that's where they find themselves, and that's what Amos comes to. That's the circumstance. And so this book, it's really funny the way it starts out. He's really tricky. Because he starts out by pronouncing judgment. You get this picture where he goes up. He's actually from Judah, the southern kingdom, and he's a shepherd. And then God starts giving him visions and calls him as a, as a prophet. And so he goes up, and you get this idea that he goes up to uh, around this region called Dan where, where these idols were and sees all these religious festivals and the people doing all this stuff and mixing all their, you know, their worship of this golden calf who they have called Yahweh now with the Baals and all this idolatry and horrible, wicked stuff that, that God detests. And he sees all this, and so he starts preaching, preaching judgment on their enemies, he shows up and says, God's going God's gonna to get them. And everybody's probably cheering, right? God's going to get them. Yeah, get them. And then the, the other enemies to the other side. Yeah, get them. And then the southern kingdom of Judah, he, he says something. And that's like, ooh, wait, that's getting a little close to home here. But he's hooked him by that point. And then he gets into the main heart of the message. And it is just judgment. That God has finally, God has offered so many chances and it's finally time when the hammer's coming down. Let me give you just a little bit of taste of that, and it's not on the screen, but here's some of the things that are communicated in his message. He says this in Amos 3, I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed, all your, you know, your wealth, the things you're trusting in, and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Here's what he says about the, the ladies of the land and it's a little rude, I just got to tell you. Um, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress, oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to our husband, our husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. I mean, it just goes on like this, Right? You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened lambs. You strum away on your harps like David. Get this picture? And improvise on musical instruments. 
You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore you, therefore, you will be the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. The next chapter, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Cheery stuff. Judgment's coming. The whole book goes, like eight chapters. This is all, I'm, I'm telling you, this isn't like bedtime reading, right? Eight chapters like that brings us to this sort of final conclusion in Amos chapter 9, verse 8. And it says this, Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet, so even in destruction, there's, there's grace, there's mercy, see? Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. In other words, this northern nation... I brought them into the land. I'm going to take them out of the land like he'd promised over a thousand years before. For I will give the command and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. Verse 10, all the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. And then, in the middle of all this judgment, all this depressing stuff, actually at the very end of it, the very end of eight and a half chapters, the very end, here's what he says. Amos 9, 11, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. And I will rebuild it as it used to be. What day is he talking about? In the midst of all this, there's hope. In spite of all this, after this northern kingdom and these ten tribes have been, has been scattered all throughout the land, all throughout the nations, which is exactly what happens about 20 years later. They're only about 20 years away from this historical event happening when Assyria will come down and take almost every person from the northern kingdom of Israel and cart them off and exile them into the farthest flung regions of the nation and many, many die in the process. And this, in the midst of all this, hope, he says, in that day, in that day. See, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes an unconditional covenant with David. And he tells David, he says that, through you and through your descendants, specifically through Solomon, one of your descendants will, will sit on the throne in his kingdom. It will go forever. There will be no end to David, the Davidic covenant it's known as. And yet, by this time, the house of David, the lion, the Davidic reign was all but over. I mean, it was in shambles. And from the height of the, the dynasty of Solomon, the scripture says it's fallen. It's fallen. But God promises in that day, I'm going to step in. I'm going to restore. I will rebuild it as it used to be. And they're thinking Solomon's splendor. 
And interestingly enough, when Jesus shows up, he makes an interesting statement, if you remember right. He says, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. And notice one other cool thing in this verse. He says, I will restore. And see, the truth is, when you're in those seasons in your life where you just don't know which way is up, where God seems silent, where you don't know where he is in your situation, there are things in your life that only God can restore. There's things that you can't do on your own. In Psalms, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. That's something that I've often reminded myself of as we've gone through this process of planning a church and trying to lead and grow. It's like, God, this thing's yours. It's yours, and unless you do this, it's going to go south quick. And there's things in your life like that where you just, you need to wait on God. That you're in a season and you don't know which way is the right way, but, but you need to wait on him and let him work in that situation. And so he goes on. So he says, I'm going to rebuild and restore David's fallen shelter. Amos 9.12, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. Now, you got to understand, Edom at this time is an enemy to Israel. And so not only is he going to restore the nation, does he say, to the splendor, but he says, I'm, even those that were formerly enemies are now going to be included in this thing. But not just Edom that's, that's to the east of Israel. He says, and all the nations that bear my name. All the nations that bear my name. So what is this day he's talking about? When is this supposed to happen? What's going on here? When is all this? I mean, that's an incredible promise. After, after just nine and a half brutal chapters, painful chapters to read, now this like incredible hope. It's one of the most abrupt transitions in all of the Bible. I mean, it's just like, Pain, 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 hope. But you know, that's the way that God works. And some of you have experienced that in your life, haven't you? That you you just got to hold on to hope. And trust that he's going to move in that situation. And I've seen over and over again so many times when he does, he does it quickly. Hope bursts in abruptly. And so here's the cool thing, and here's what you got to know about this. We see this actually in Acts chapter 15, a passage we preached, oh, just like six, eight weeks ago, where, where the conclusion is, hey, let's not make it hard for Gentiles to come to Jesus. Let's not make them convert to Judaism and do, have to keep all these, these laws. Let's make it as easy as possible for people to come to God. And here, here's what James, the brother of Jesus, says in this situation. They, they're arguing, they're sharing all these things that God had done, trying to make a decision. And then James stands up and he says this, when they finished, 
James spoke up, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, or Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. Now, see if this sounds familiar. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And so he, does, he loosely quotes the prophet Amos, who prophesied this 780 years earlier. It says, it's happening. This is it. God is moving and acting to fulfill his promise. After 400 years of silence, God steps in and he moves and he acts. And the whole point of this is so the rest of mankind could come in and be part of what God is doing could find life and hope in Jesus. All right, Amos 9, 13, back to Amos. He goes on, and this concludes this little book. And here's what he said. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And he says, there's going to be such incredible bounty. This is good news. Verse 14, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and lived in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. This is echoes promises we see in other passages like Joel 3 and Isaiah 25. A world in which creation, the very curse that is put on the earth back all the way back in Genesis 3 is reversed. Incredible fruit, incredible bounty. When does this find its fulfillment? In the kingdom that is to come, this finds its fulfillment. And so right here, is this incredible hope, this incredible hope. But after the last of the minor prophets, Malachi puts down his pen. There's 400 years of silence in between. 400 years. Now, God has acted during that time. In fact, there's some amazing stories that, Jews around the world still celebrate the miracle of Hanukkah, right? There's some amazing things that God does during that time. However, the prophetic voice, just as Amos prophesied, goes silent. There's a famine for the word of the Lord. And and here's what we do oftentimes when we read these Old Testament prophecies. We think, well, we're nothing like that today. Let me tell you, these people that Amos is, is standing up and calling out, they're not that much different than us today. I mean, we look back and go, well, how, how could they do that, you know? They're just people trying to go about their life, trying to get ahead, you know? 
trying to upgrade that, that chariot a little bit or get their hut upgraded to an ivory house, you know, get a little nicer lotion. Because come on, ladies, you like your lotion, don't you? I mean, a little nicer. And they're just like us in the things they struggle with and the pain they experience. 400 years of, of silence, 400 years, you've had these incredible promises made to you. And then, when's it ever going to happen? When's it ever going to happen? And like them, for us, there will be periods of time when it feels like God's just gone silent. When it seems like God's absent. And like them, there will be times when you're caught up in a situation and you're experiencing something and it's not your fault. You're just caught in the fallout. Young people, sometimes it's when, when parents or somebody that should be trusted betrays trust, right? Some of you have experienced that. Others, it's, it's when somebody who made a promise breaks their promise. And there's seasons like this we all go through in different times of our life. And so these people, for 400 years they're walking, trusting that God is going to somehow bring to pass what he promised. And then after 400 years of prophetic silence, here's what happens. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary was troubled, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But here, don't, don't miss this because this is what we just read. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the what? The throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that silence, God steps in. Now, he's been active the whole time. We're going to look at more at that on Christmas. He's been very active. But he steps in and he fulfills the promise. And here's the truth. Everywhere the message of Jesus goes out, his kingdom that he launches and initiates at his first coming continues to grow and continues to expand. His reign expands in the hearts of his children. As every new person that hears the message and responds to Jesus in faith comes into his family enters that kingdom. 
And as we send missionaries out and sponsor church planters in places like Myanmar and Africa, the kingdom of God continues to grow and the reign of Jesus continues. It's the fulfillment of the promise, right? But here, here's, here's where we live, isn't it? 2,000 years later, we live in this interesting time. A time when the kingdom has broken in in Jesus and continues to grow and continues to expand. The kingdom's broken in, but this world's still broken. And we experience that every day. And it's in those moments of encountering the brokenness of this world and the fact that the kingdom is, in some sense, it's here, in some sense, it's breaking in, and yet we know that some of these prophecies, man, it's not like that yet, is it? That it's not going to be until Jesus returns that some of these incredible prophecies like Amos ends his little book with to the fullness of that is, is fulfilled, right? That's the time we live in. And you know, the end of the story, and this is the promise, the end of the story is a garden, a beautiful garden. It's a new heavens and a new earth. It's an eternal destiny. And I think we get this, people in our culture have such a, a wrong idea of like floating robes and, you know, robes and sitting on clouds. And it's this sort of idea people have in their head of eternity. But you look at the end of the book, the end of the story, the end, and it's this incredible picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And I, I always, I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. It's like a, a book, like eternity. For some people, I've heard people say things like, oh man, that sounds really boring. I don't think I want to go to heaven. I'm like, are you kidding? It's like the best book that was ever written. And the way C.S. Lewis puts it, it's like, it's like the most incredible book. And every chapter just keeps getting better and better. And it never ends. That's the hope of eternity, of eternal life. And that's incredible. It's incredible. In fact, Paul puts it this way. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who, have loved, who love him. That's the future hope, guys. But in the meantime, what do you do? What do you do? when you feel like you're walking through the silence? What do you do when you pray and, and you're not getting, you don't feel like you're getting any answer? And I think one of the big keys for what you do is found in something that the author of Hebrews writes when he echoes the words of the Lord. He says this, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And when you're walking through those seasons, just like these people who for 400 years are walking forward in anticipation, just waiting for the time that God is going to move, for the time that God is going to break in and begin to fulfill, you got to trust him. Even when you struggle to hear him, when you can't see what he's doing, he promised that he's with you. He promises he's with you. You got to trust his presence. And so really, here's I've just got one takeaway for you today. And if you find yourself in one of these seasons where it just feels like you're, you're just, it's radio silence, you just don't know which way to turn next, 
You keep praying, but you're not sure where God's at in the whole thing. And it's this, when walking through silence, trust his presence and take the next step. Really, that's all you got to do. When you're walking in silence, you have to trust his presence and take the next step. And here's a good question to ask. Is what, what would it look like if I really was confident that he was with me in this? What would it look like? If, if I, if, I mean, I know in my head, but what would it look like if it really sunk into my heart that he is with me? What would a person who really trusts that Jesus is with them in this situation, what would they do? That's where the next step comes in. Because oftentimes our frustration in silence is we don't see the end. But I tell you guys this often, he almost always shows you the very next step you're supposed to take. And just trusting that he's there with you often clarifies that in your heart and in your mind. So a good question to ask is, what would I do if I was really confident that God was with me? And you know what? I'm not saying it's going to make that silence go away necessarily or going to make you feel better right away. But I think it will give you the hope to keep hanging on and to keep trusting him. I had an experience I'll tell you this story, and then we'll close. Um, when I was doing missions work in, in Fiji, and I won't tell the whole story here because I've told it other times, but basically the long and short of it is I was at the end of my rope, and I decided I couldn't take it. I'm out of here. But I knew I was doing something that I wasn't supposed to do. And God literally broke two, ta- two taxis in a row to keep me in Fiji. It was crazy. And you know, the interesting thing about that whole situation is it didn't fix all the issues that were there, which I wanted to run from. It didn't fix the whole thing in my heart of going like, God, what's going on in this whole situation? Why do I, why do I feel like this in this situation? But you know what it did? I knew he was with me. I knew that he saw me. And I knew that he cared. And I didn't know why I was still there. But at least I knew he was with me and it made all the difference in the world. When walking through silence, trust his presence and take the next step. What would you do if you were really confident that he was with you? Would you stand? I'm going to close by praying for you. Father, I just want to thank you for my friends here today. And Lord, uh, Lord, for some in the room that this is a, just where they're at right now, I pray that you would give them that confidence and experience with you where they realize, wow, you're with me. That in, in a way that only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit. Maybe it's nothing dramatic, but maybe it's just that that trust that you just work in their hearts to know that in, in the midst of this circumstance, even though they don't know why they're in it and what's going on, in spite of that, you're with them in that. 
And so, Lord, I just want to ask that uh, you would move in their hearts. And pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.